0: I'm gonna ask you a question as we begin this morning. Are you a person that enjoys a list? Are you a person that enjoys a list? Like you like a good list. Let's say you've got several things that you've got. I see people pointing at their spouse. You know it's funny. Typically, I, I I feel like in marriage you have one person that that loves it and one person that just loathes a list. Like don't hand me a list. Um, but. What I mean by do you like a list is if you have a lot of things that are that's going on in the day, let's say you have a lot of chores that you need to do around the house, it's best for you just to get out a pen and paper and just physically write down. Okay, I've got to do this, I got to do this, and I got to do this. And not only that, when you accomplish that task, what do you do? You get that pen and you scratch it off, and it feels feels so good. You know, that just motivates me to go to the next thing. It just feels so good. It's a, it's almost a rush. Um, between me and Elizabeth. I asked for permission, by the way, uh, to tell on her, but she is the one who enjoys a good list. Um, I call her Elizabeth um, because she just really enjoys a good list. You know, we've got something to do. Oh, let me, go get out my, let me go get out my planner and we'll write it out and that way I can just scratch it off. And I'm thinking, I couldn't be furthest from the opposite of who you are. I was telling her today, though, or last night, I said, you've actually helped me a lot be more organized. So... Thank God for people who enjoy a good list. After after we had been married for about two months, we were living in an apartment, and I was working a job, um, a retail job, and I, we didn't have the same off days um, as one another. So my days off were during the week, and you know we had to do the things that newlywed couples had to do: merge our bank accounts and get our things in order. And um, she said, hey, we've got several things you've got to do today. And I said, okay. In mind, you've been married like six or eight weeks. So I didn't know what I was doing and, and um, know what I was stepping into. And she said, yeah, we've got to do this, this, and this. I said, okay, I'll get it done. She said, okay, good. Here's a list of things to do. And I said, please don't hand me a list again. Let's, let's just not start that. Ever again. and um, Because what I, was seeing, I, what I was seeing her do was, here's a list of things that you're obligated to do. And what she was seeing is, this is going to be helpful to you. And later, as we've been married for several years now, I can, I can, I can see that the reason she handed me that list was saying, if you want to show me that you love me, here's some things that you can do for me. <laughs> right? To her, that was an act of love. To me, it looked like an act of obligation This morning, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments as we continue into our our walk uh, through the book of Exodus. Over the last several weeks, we have seen God rescue and redeem His people. We've seen God keep His promises as He has called His people to Himself. Last several weeks, we saw that God rescued the Israelites out of slavery and out of bondage in Israel. We saw how through the mighty hand of God and the miracles of God, He continued to rescue them as they were chased after by the Egyptians. We saw before that, we saw the plagues of God and the power of God. And now here we are to the point where the Israelites, a couple of months later, the Israelites are now camped in the wilderness of Sinai at the the base of Mount Sinai. And here's where we, we have where God gives the people of Israel his Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments can be a little bit of a confusing thing for us. Uh, because so often we can look at them as just a, as a list of obligations. Uh, maybe a good suggestions that people should follow in their life you know you have one extreme of those who are non-believers they might look at the Ten Commandments and they say you know I can't subscribe to a religion where I have to keep all the rules and I'm going to be afraid that I'm just going to feel guilty all the time and I'm going to be afraid that you know God's going to strike me down if I break one of them and then you have another end of the spectrum of Christians who might say you know We really don't need to even study the Old Testament. We really don't even need to study the Old Testament law because we're under the new law right now. We're under the new law of grace. So why are we even looking at things like the Ten Commandments? Well, one reason we're looking at things like the Ten Commandments was because Jesus thought they were pretty important. And if Jesus thought they were pretty important, then obviously we should study them. He said, I never came to abolish the law. What did he say? He said, I came to fulfill it. You see, you see, the Ten Commandments were never given as, an, as a list of things that were drawn out by God to say, this is a list of obligations you have to do in order to be away from my wrath. He said, no, out of the act of the grace and the mercy that I've shown you, because of that, I want you to love me enough that this is just the overflow of your heart. It was always about faith. It was always about placing our trust in Him. In fact, when you look at the Israelites, their biggest their biggest mistakes when they broke the commandments, all he's had to do was their lack of belief, their lack of trust, their their lack of placing their faith in the one who was their rescuer. So the greatest thing that God could ever do for his people was to give them a set of boundaries, a set of guidelines for them to live by. And what he's saying is these guidelines and these boundaries are for you to know, number one, how to worship me, how to love me, how to show that you love me. And that is by obeying my commands. And number two, how do we respond to the people around us? The commandments were always given as an act of grace, an act of the grace of God. That he set boundaries around us in our life. And he loved us enough to give us these commands so that we can love him out of the overflow of our heart. So here the Israelites, like I said, we're, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 where he gives the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. Here they are, they're, they're camped at the base of Mount Sinai and um, Moses has gone up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's going to meet in the presence of God. We see that in 19 uh, verse 3. And he says this to Moses and he says, I want you to go tell the Israelites this. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He says this, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. He's telling them a couple of things, I think. Remember what I've done. Remember my mighty power. Remember my merciful hand. Remember how I am your rescuer. I don't think that it's a coincidence we see the parallels here in chapter 19 that we see in chapter 3. We talked about this several weeks ago where where God talks to Moses in the burning bush what do we say a few weeks ago? God said to Moses, I have seen your cry. I've heard your cry. I've seen your oppression. I'm aware of what's happening to you, and I'm going to rescue you. And now he's saying to Moses and the people of Israel, now you have seen. Now you have seen what I can do. Now you have seen what I've done. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know that I carried you on eagle's wings. You know that I have done what I said I was going to do. He was telling them, remember this day that I was the one who was your rescuer. I was the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I carried you. And not only that, I didn't just drop you off in the wilderness. I didn't just say, good luck. What did he say? I then brought you to myself. I brought you into my presence. I was your rescuer. I was also your merciful savior. I brought you to myself. Then he says this in 5 and 6. In light of this, in light of the fact that I'm your rescuer, he says, now... If you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special people, my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel I am your rescuer. I'm the one who is mighty. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. I'm the one who's your merciful Savior, like we just sang before. He said, in light of that, here are my commands. I have a question for you. Think about this. Did God just save them out of slavery just to enslave them with something else? He didn't. He, he, He rescued them out of slavery, and he said, This is how you can respond to me as your rescuer. I'm about to give you some guidelines. I'm about to give you some parameters in your life to live within because this is my continual rescue of you. Like a good and loving father who loves his children enough that he sets borders in their life to live within, this is how I'm going to continue to rescue you as my people. I'm going to give you these lists of commands. You know, if you think of it this way, God was saying, I want your motivation of why you obey me to change, rather than from out of obligation, than from love. When you were uh, younger, for for parents in here, adults in here, when you were younger, living under your parents' roof as a teenager, and teenagers, you get this right now, your parents might have had a list of chores and a list of things that they wanted you to do, right? If you don't get these things done by the end of the week, you have consequences. There's going to be some sort of punishment. You get something taken away from you, Um, you know, there's just going to be consequences for not doing what you're asked to do. You're obligated to do those things. God was saying, I want to take you out of that obligation into this, where when you move out of your parents' house, and hopefully you move out one day, hopefully. That's the goal. Um, You move out, you start your own family. Let's say one day your, your mom or your dad calls you over to their house. And they say, hey, I have some furniture I need to move. I have some, you know, maybe I need some help cutting the grass or whatever it might be you're no longer obligated anymore right you no longer live under their roof you no longer live under uh, their protection somebody's talking to me back there I think but why do you do it why do you go over to their house and say sure I'll help you move the furniture sure I'll help you with your chores you don't do it out of obligation anymore why do you do it you do it out of love because I love and respect my parents. I think he's still talking to me. <laughs> you do it out of love. You do it out of respect for your parents. And that's what God said he wants for us, for us as people. He says, in light of the fact that I'm now your rescuer, in light of the fact that I'm now the one who saved you from the bondage of slavery, this is how you respond. Not out of act of obligation. The law was never given as an act of obligation. It was given because God wanted our motivation to be so much that we loved him so much that it was a natural overflow of our heart. And we respect him so much. We want to know him better. We want to be holy because he is holy. It's a natural overflow that we respond to his commands. So he said, I have three promises for you. Three promises for you. if we can get those scriptures back up in five and six. He said, "There's three things where if you keep my commands, these things will happen." He says, "This, you will be my special treasure." God is the creator of everything we see, everything we don't see. He's the creator of everything in the galaxies, everything in the universe. We look at all the beauty of this earth. We look at all the things that He's created, and He said, "Out of all of that, you're my special treasure." From among all the peoples on earth, you're my special treasure. He says, for everything on this earth belongs to me. But I have pointed you out, I have chosen you. Out of all of those things, you are my special treasure. The second thing he tells them is this. You're now my kingdom of priests. You now have direct access to me. You can now come into my presence. This is something given only to the people of Israel at this time. He says, "You, you know who the one true God is. You can come directly into my presence. You have direct access to me. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, you can come directly to me. And the last thing he says is this, and you will be my holy nation. You'll be set apart. Not only a holy nation, he's saying, I want you individually also to be holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. He says, you will be my holy nation. He says, this is the message I want you to give to the people of Israel. Hopefully you're reading in the F260 reading plan. I encourage you to be doing that if you're not. Um, because this week we're going to see how that covenant worked. <laughs> how it was carried out. God um, asked Moses to come back up to the mountain as he, as he gave the law. Before he even got back down from the mountain, the Israelites had broken this covenant. Don't you think God knew that that would happen? Don't you think God knew that that, would, that was going to occur? This was always based on the merciful hand and gracious gift that God gives to his people. It was never based on us trying to live up to some moral standard. It was always based on the gracious, forgiving, slow to anger, loving God. As he gave boundaries to set for his people. And before the Israelites, before Moses was even able to come down and give of the full law, they had already broken it. So what God tells Moses to do here, he said, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to go down and tell the people. Moses goes down and tells the people the terms of the covenant, and they say, we accept. We'll do what God asks of us to do. And God, or Moses goes back up to God and says, they've accepted the terms of the covenant. He said, good, prepare them for worship now. Prepare them because they're about to come to my presence, and they're about to see my holiness. So the, the, the text goes that Moses goes down and he goes through several different rituals, sacrifices to prepare the Israelites. He sets up a boundary around the base of the mountain. You can't step past this boundary. You can't come into the presence of God. He is so holy. And then we see the holiness of God and all its glory. It's really a cool story. Sit on the top of the mountain as he speaks to his people and gives them the law. They were trembling in fear, as I think both you and I would be as well. Then he says this in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. These are the last two verses we're going to look at this morning before we look at what are some takeaways we can look at from the law. Then God gave the people these instructions. We must remember that these weren't instructions that Moses gave. These weren't coming from anyone other than God, these weren't just some, some uh, suggestions that God gave to His people. Hey, just think about this. You know, if you want to live a good life, maybe you should follow these. No, He gave these commands and instructions. He was saying these are directly from Me. I created you. Don't you think I understand and know what's best for your life? A couple of years ago, a, a senator, um, a U.S. senator, went on to I believe it was the Colbert Show. Now, why he would ever do that, I don't know. Um, but he went on to the Colbert Show, and Colbert asked him. Uh, didn't you recently sponsor a bill that um, would place the Ten Commandments in Congress? That would place the Ten Commandments in the Senate and the House of Representatives tablets? And he said, yeah, I, I did do that. And uh, the Colbert asked him, so what was the reason that, that you did that? And he kind of stumbled on his words and he said, well, you know, I think everyone should should respect uh, the Ten Commandments. You know, I think that they're just great guidelines for us to live by, and, and he said, "You know, if if we would all live by the Ten Commandments, basically, this would be a better place for us to live by." And Colbert looked at him and said, "Oh yeah, yeah I agree." He said, "Can you name the Ten Commandments?" And he said, "Um, and I think he got out three. Thirty percent. Um, Sometimes we can look at the Ten Commandments as just a list of suggestions." Maybe like a self-help book. You know, if you want to try these things, maybe honor your parents, maybe love the Lord. You know, that's, those are, things are great. No, these were commands given directly to us by God. They still apply to us today, by the way. Like I said, Jesus never abolished these. He never said you can do away with those. But he did say we can sum it up in two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then God said this to the people. I am the Lord your God. Let's just stop right there. I am the Lord your God. What happens in a, few, in a few chapters? They break the covenant. Don't you think God knew that they would break the covenant? He still says, before he even gives the command, I am your God. I'm already the Lord your God. Who rescued you from the land of Egypt. The place of your slavery. Peter said, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, he reiterated the, the, the verses that we read a second ago in, in chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And he said that he has set us apart now as believers. For those who belong under Christ, he has now set us apart. He has now set us apart to be the kingdom of priests where we have direct access to God. He has now set us apart to be a holy nation. He's now set us apart to be a special possession, a special treasure of God. So that when other nations see us, they're attracted to us and they say, I want a part of that. We saw two amazing baptisms here this morning of people saying, I want to be a part of what the Lord is doing. I want want what those people had. And we're able to see that Jesus changes everything in the heart of those who will humbly submit themselves. And what he does, he says, I've now set you apart. And for us believers, for for us in here and for us in this room, he's saying to you and to me, I am the Lord your God. As a follower of Jesus, I am the Lord your God. Remember, I am the one that rescued you out of your moment of need. I'm the one that rescued you out of your slavery to sin. And maybe you're in here and... You've been outside the boundaries at some point in your life that God has placed in your life. And he's calling you back in and saying, remember who I am. We see a God here who knows that his people are going to be unfaithful. Yet he says, I'm still your God. He continues to be faithful. So what are some takeaways we can look at when God gives us the law, when he gives us these commandments? What can the law teach us? I think it can teach us a lot of things, obviously, that we could spend sermon after sermon on. But I'm just going to give us three things I think we can look at in this text that, that the law can teach us. first thing it teaches us is this. The law teaches us about God, and it teaches us about ourselves. The law teaches us about God, and it teaches us about ourselves. He said if you want to be holy, be holy as I am holy. It teaches us how to worship God. How do we love God? How do we respond to him in faith? How do we respond to him by trusting him and trusting him with our life? That's what the law teaches us. It teaches us how to worship him, how to love him, how to honor him. And then it teaches us about ourselves. It shows us that we were created in the confines of these boundaries of these commandments that God has given us. And when we get outside of those things is when we get in real trouble in our life. Would you agree? I mean, you can think of times in your life when you've got outside of the boundaries of what God placed in your life, and it wasn't natural. God is saying from the very beginning of time, this was my intent for you as a human being to, to to live within the confines of these boundaries that I've set in your life. So what the law does is it teaches us about God. It teaches us how to worship God. But it also teaches us about ourselves. It teaches us how to interact with one another. So the law teaches us about God. It teaches us about ourselves. Here's here's what it also teaches us. It teaches us that God takes our sin very, very seriously. It takes our sin very, very seriously. God is a gracious, loving patient God like I said he loves us enough to place boundaries within our life, he gives us these commands to live by, not as some moral test that we have to check off a list but after the overflow of our heart but when we get outside of the guidelines that God wants us to live within he takes our sin very seriously if you read on in chapter 20 we don't have it up on the screen but I'll read it here after God had given the ten commandments to the people, chapter 20 verses 18 through 21 he says this Remember, his, his presence is resting on the top of the mountain. He says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us, or we will die. This is interesting what Moses said. He said, Don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. He says in the same verse, don't fear, but then he says, fear. Don't be so afraid of the smoke and the fire and the lightning and the ram's horn. Don't be afraid as afraid of that as you are about the holiness of God. God takes our sin very, very seriously. Like I said, He's patient, He's loving, He's gracious. But He's also a judge. He takes our sin very seriously. When we get off track, He will will do everything that He can in order to get us back to to a place to where we're within the confines of the boundaries that He set for us. But he he, he, He takes our sin extremely seriously. And here's the third thing. True freedom is found within boundaries. True freedom is found within boundaries. This might seem like a statement that doesn't mesh. These two things don't go together. How do you find how do you find freedom within boundaries? Um, about a year or two after Elizabeth and I got married, we decided to get a dog uh, named Maddox. Maddox is a golden retriever. Um, he he now he's a big big boy. He weighs about ninety pounds. He's five. Um, Maddox is a really good dog. Uh, he's extremely lazy. One of the most lazy animals. Um, on the face of the earth. I went home for lunch last week, and I left him inside because it was raining and it was cold. So I left him in, and I went through the back door, and I walk in, and I'm making sandwich or, or something, and I notice I never got greeted. You know, Maddox never came to the back door, and I'm thinking, oh, there must be something wrong. And I walk into the den, and he's just snoring. He's fine. He's just, he just didn't feel I'm important enough to get up and uh, come greet me at the back door. So that, that's what you need to know about Maddox. Um, Maddox has this one thing he can't help though when he sees an open door or an open gate and I don't mean metaphorically I mean physically when he sees one he can't help but run through it cannot help himself I mean there's just something inside of him that he can't help he's the laziest thing until he's not and then you can't, can't catch him he can't help himself a few, a few months ago he got out of my back gate and I've learned by now What I need to do, instead of chasing him around the neighborhood and looking like a fool, I just get in my car, and I drive to where he is. And usually at this point, he knows he's in way over his head. And I open up the door, and I say, come on, let's go. And he'll hop on in. You know, I know what's going through Maddox's head when he sees that open gate. The word that's going through his little dog brain is FREEDOM! There's open air. I can run and jump and play. I might even find a girlfriend. You never know. It's as far as I'll take that. Um, I can find squirrels to run after. I can go hunt. But he's never done a day in his life. He doesn't know how to do that. I can go have an adventure. What he doesn't know that I know is that when he gets outside of that front door, there's cars and there's danger. And there's things that could really hurt him. Things that could kill him even. And I can go and I can run after him. I can say, Maddox, come back. Get back in here. You're going to get hit by a car. There's been a couple of close calls. And he just can't listen. It's like he's so overwhelmed with what's going on. And eventually he gets tired. And he's just dead weight. He lays down. I had to learn the hard way, by the way, to get the car. Because I had to carry him one time. And... Um, <laughs> He's more than half my body weight. So I looked really funny. And um, he lays down. He's had enough. And I'll say, come on, hop in the car. And he'll come. And I'll put him in the backyard sternly. (laughs) And I'll close the gate. And he's probably thinking to himself, thank goodness. I'm back home. You know, sometimes we can look at freedom the wrong way. Sometimes we can look at these these commands that God gives us the wrong way, and we think, you know, those are just a straitjacket that God gives his believers to to live within. When really God is saying, the true freedom that you're going to find is within the boundaries that I've set for you in your life. A fish can't live outside of water. It has boundaries it has to live within in order to thrive. Human beings can't live outside of the boundaries that God has given them. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. And sometimes the reason we're not experiencing the life that God wants us us to experience is because we're trying to find freedom outside of the boundaries that he wants to give us. And just like me trying to chase after Maddox and get him to come back, what he's saying is, just get back in the car. (laughs) Just get in the car. Here's our bottom line this morning. God loves you enough to set boundaries in your life. God loves you enough to set boundaries in your life. He's a loving and kind and gracious Father who loves His children enough to know that they need boundaries within their life in order to thrive, in order to live the life that He wants us as believers to live. And maybe you're in here this morning and you have walked through the open door, the front door. or You've walked through that back gate. And you're wandering around and you know you're in way over your head. And you know that you're not doing what God wants you to do. And you don't know how to get yourself back. You might feel lost. I promise you God is chasing after you today saying get back in the boundaries I've set for you in your life. Make today the day that you get back in the boundaries. Or maybe you're someone in here who's saying, I've never lived within the boundaries. I've never taken God's law very seriously in my life. I've never taken His commands very seriously. I promise you, God is chasing after you as well. And He was saying, don't try to feel like you have to be good enough Don't feel like you have to try to check off a certain list or be moral enough. That's never going to earn you any salvation. That's never going to help you reach or attain God. The only person you can place your trust in is Jesus Christ. The one who said, I didn't come to abolish these laws, but I did come to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it on your behalf and on my behalf. And he hung on a tree and he died on a cross and he shed his blood for you and for me because he took our place. And he did what you and I could never do. Trust him today. Here's some next steps that we can take. How about we just begin thanking God just by how we live our life? I will thank God by obeying him. One of the best ways you can show God that you're placing your trust in him is just by simply obeying him. Out of the overflow of love for your heart. Not to check off some list, but to say, God, I love you and I want to obey you by how I live my life. Here's another way I think that we can respond to what God's saying to us today. Just connect with us to the F260 reading plan. I was just talking to someone today just how meaningful it has been to them and how they've connected to a group and how they've just begun discussing just how, how powerful just the Word of God is. If you want to know what God wants for your life, get into His Word. One easy way to do that is just connecting to the plan. You can see within your worship folder today what week we're on, what what chapters we're reading through this week. Next week we're going to have a sermon based off one of those chapters just to kind of reinforce what we read. But get connected to the F260 reading plan today. In a minute we're going to respond to what God's saying to us and ask everyone to stand this morning. Go ahead and stand. And Jason's going to sing for us. In a second I'm going to pray. After I pray, I, I encourage you just to respond either at your seat or at these altars to what God is saying to you today. Like I said, God loves you enough. He loves you so much that he's placed boundaries within your life. Thank him this morning for the boundaries. Thank, thank him for loving you enough. Or maybe you're in here and you've gotten outside of the fence. And you want to return. Say today, Lord, rescue me. Be my rescuer. However it is to respond, don't leave this place without doing so. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you are our rescuer. God, we thank you that you loved us enough, Lord, to give us your commands. Lord, we thank you that they're not a list of things that we've got to do out of obligation, but Lord, they're a list of things we do out of love for you. Lord, help us believe. Help us with our unbelief.